Yeah. Oh, there we go. Oh, that's recording, I think. Cool. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, I have all the notes on my laptop because I don't have a second monitor. Ah, uh, okay. Which, you know, play the moves, right? Yeah, well, I need to get a second monitor, to be honest. I'm wondering about just getting a free TV off Gumtree and using that as a monitor. That's not a bad idea, you know. Yeah. Because as like, I've looked and you can get free TVs quite easily, I think. They're not great, but... Yeah, if, it, if you just need like something to put a Word document up whilst you edit a video, I don't know, for, or exactly. if you're doing a podcast. Mm. Um, Word... Simple. I'm guessing we're cutting all of this right here, right? That's what you said last time, and I didn't. But this is like <laughs> two <Four> minutes of this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I yeah. will probably cut it. <laughs> right, shall I start on the first slide? Yes. Awesome. From beginning. Cool. Look at this production value. Whoa, that is so amazing. There's a moving video. Yeah, I know, right? It just, it, I used like the slide designer thing and it did it for me. I didn't even know you could do that. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? It's just like, a, it's a cool thing. Um, increasing the production value by quite a bit. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> it's we basically got millions of dollars at this point. We um, do, yeah. I actually got it from the Cotchers. Um, yeah, so we're going to have to uh, swig some fossil fuels at some point in this video, but I'm sure that'll be fine. Okay, yeah. Um, Should so, we introduce ourselves again? I'm guessing. Yeah, let's go for yeah. that. Do you want to introduce the podcast? I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd go for it. Okay, hello. And welcome to Can We Do It? Um, I am Evan. I'm Josh. And we're asking, can we do it? Yeah. Today, we're visiting the topic of humans on mars can we put them on mars and can we bring them back from mars that is interesting so I um because i was gonna have to explain it for the viewers okay i've decided to come up with a rating system oh so, that's interesting basically whoever the showrunner is explains the thing and then whoever the other co-host is has to give it a five, out of five for feasibility and an out of five for practicality. I mean, they're kind of the same thing, but, you know, okay. if the feasibility would be, is it possible? Yeah. And the practicality would be, how much will it cost? <laughs> okay. I don't know so, why, but I'm getting, like, um, you know, like Mythbusters. Yeah, Mythbusters. Like, I mean, we could have, like, Busted or, like... Busted. Uh, <laughs> we should do that. Or Plausible. Or yeah, we should do that. Mythbusters never really do, like... Sometimes they do Busted, but sometimes if they don't do Busted, they kind of go, Plaus yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and the myth continues yeah. on. But first, we need to ask, what is Mars? I ran out of budget. I'm pretty sure it is a planet. Am oh I yeah, right? it's a planet. Yeah, it's a planet. <laughs> wow, I'm, yeah. I'm a genius. Um, <laughs> Mars is the second closest planet to Earth. The closest planet being um, Venus. Venus. Am I right? Wait. Yeah. 
I didn't think Venus was closer. I don't know why I, I assumed Mars was, because... I think it's because everyone talks about Mars, but yeah. no one talks about Venus. And, like, you can't actually... I mean, people can't really go to Venus, I'm guessing, because it's too hot. Yeah, no, Venus ain't so great. Um, yeah. Yeah, Mars is about... 1.5 astronomical units, an astronomical unit being the distance from the Earth to the Sun. Ah, okay. Um, so Venus is about 0.7 astronomical units, Mars 1.5. So Venus is actually 0.2 astronomical units closer to us, or one light minute closer. Hmm. Um, however... Venus has a surface temperature of 470 degrees and an atmosphere that has 91 times the pressure of that on Earth. (laughs) So, yeah, not really possible for people to go to, I feel. Just a guess. Unless, I don't know, if people wore, like, ice suits or something stupid, no, that wouldn't work at all. The ice would melt and then you just boil. (laughs) Yeah, um, the Russians actually sent a few landers to Venus in the 70s. Really? And I think they kind of just melted after an hour. Oh, okay. They weren't designed to last very long. They were just designed to... But they have a few photos from the surface of Venus. I should have thrown them in because they're really cool. Um, Well, not cool. They're really hot. Um before yeah the venus just melted here mm. um so mars is approximately half the size of earth i think this is actually a two scale ah. oh, representation of it which is pretty cool um and it has about a third of the gravity so 3.7 meters a second squared compared to like 9.8 meters a second squared on earth so mm quite a bit less but more than the moon um where did it i had a slide here oh you got my hopes up with that first slide i have to say with the production value but it's just no yeah and then the slide disappeared i don't know where the slides come anyway just imagine there's like a weather report here okay you can probably just edit it in afterwards so maybe we shouldn't have mentioned anything if you just had put in what you were planning to put in in post I could do that. Um, <laughs> Mars has a maximum temperature of 35 degrees. Oh, that's not too bad. Which is really quite, yeah, really yeah. quite pleasant. I'm guessing that's Celsius that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay, no, cool. not like fuddy-duddy <laughs> old units. Yeah. Um, however, it goes to chilly lows of minus 143 Celsius. Oh, that's not so great. Yeah, which is almost as cold as the waiting rooms at Sheffield train station. <laughs> yeah, I think I've like had to stand on Chesterfield and it's been pretty cold, but I don't think I've yeah. ever really been Sheffield that much, at least in the winter. Um, but if the weather hasn't put you off, how do we fly there? This is a, a Mars transfer orbit um, GIF. Mm. And it kind of displays how a Hoffman transfer works. So this is like Ah. you time it so you kind of increase your apoapsis, which is the highest point of your orbit, and then you speed up when you reach Mars and then sort of capture into it. Oh, that's quite cool. Um, 
but as you can see, you have to kind of do it at the right time mm. um, when the planets line up, at least for this. This is the most efficient way of doing it. Um, and yeah, it lines up every 26 months. Uh, so it is a little bit inconvenient. Um, the transfer yeah. takes about nine months usually, um, but I think most human missions are looking at something like six um, you need a little bit more fuel, but I think considering that the people are eating food and stuff all the time, it's probably like a balance to be made. Mm. Um, so yeah, is that the Most... same thing that they do with the rovers? I'm guessing. So they yeah yeah that's yeah. how they get um, perseverance and opportunity and all of those to Mars. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think most missions look at like six months transit and then a year on Mars, and then you have to wait for the lining up in the opposite direction. Mm. Um, and then about six months back. So about two years is the mission <laughs> you're looking for. Um, so yeah, keeping humans alive. Um, because when I say humans on Mars, I generally don't mean dead humans on Mars. Yeah, that'd be a bit of a waste of time. I feel and a waste of money. It'd be a bit of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be um, really, it would be really fit, like cool way of killing people. I guess if you wanted yeah. to go for a really out there way of doing it, but if it you want to have easier. I will yeah. say it would be a lot easier That's to true, just throw actually. corpses at Mars. The first, if we if we should start the space program, like the British space program, where we try and get the first person on Mars, <laughs> alive just, or dead, we don't care. Well, dead or alive, dead. we are getting to Mars. Because <laughs> <laughs> technically, they'll be right. Why didn't they do that with, um, you know, the space race? Yeah, with Apollo. Just, I mean, I guess yeah, like, if it's about optics, maybe feel, you don't want to throw a dead person at <laughs> I feel oh wait no I won't say that I was just thinking like how many with, with the gulags didn't they yeah. I don't know much about this so I might be wrong wait but didn't they have like they killed quite a few people so they could have just sent a dead body to Mars not Mars the moon yeah and then boom I mean I feel it would like be the first I, man on the moon if I got offered the opportunity for someone to throw my corpse at Mars I'd probably take it that's true. Yeah, I feel like, like people would, be would definitely. Iconic. Yeah, people um, would definitely um, like pay money for that. I feel. Although obviously, what you don't want happening is to send your human to Mars, hoping that they'll arrive alive, and then have them arrive not alive. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, moving humans requires fresh, oxygenated air, uh, food water and a climate controlled environment so you need to provide all of these things um but fortunately this isn't exactly new to us um wait yeah how'd they do it on the iss the next slide was supposed to be that okay right it's fine i'm just missing some slides today uh, <laughs> okay. I so, yeah welcome back everyone um hello just pretend that this is there we go just pretend this is still powerpoint <laughs> um yeah this is a chart describing the interactions of various subsystems that maintain water supply and a breathable breathable atmosphere for the astronauts on the iss um i have some statistics which is fun 
Um, the average person breathes a kilo of oxygen, drinks 1.5 kilos of water, and eats a kilo of solid food a day. So that's about three and a half kilos a day needed to survive. Mm. Um, current launch costs around about $3,000 a kilo. So per astronaut, that's $10,500 a day. Uh, okay. Which actually isn't that bad in terms of the space program, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you can recycle some of this, there's a lot of savings to be made. Um, you know, you can save a lot of mass that you can use to launch experiments, um, other things the astronauts might need beyond, like, basic food, water, <laughs> air. Um yeah, so launching to Mars is going to be even more fuel-intensive. So the amount of mass you need to get to low Earth orbit needs to not only be the actual stuff itself, but also the fuel to then launch it onwards to Mars. So mm. it's like you can triple or quadruple the price of... Or, you know, probably double or triple the price of anything that you're flying to Mars in terms of um, how much energy it needs to get there. Um, so yeah I actually did some maths so even for the current price of a in low earth orbit for a two year mission launching all of those things just as in tanks and having them be used and then discarded um, would cost around 7.65 million dollars per crew member wait and how many crew members would they probably have I think each. the smallest I've seen is four. Okay. Um, but it goes up a lot. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and that would actually be a... That would just be water, food, air. That wouldn't mm. include anything else. Um, so it would be a very small proportion. So, yeah, if you can save on these sort of weight requirements and save on some of the stuff needed to launch up there. Um, yeah, obviously massive savings to be made. Yeah. So... Um, One area that I've noticed on this diagram that um, that there could be some savings involved, because everything else is kind of recycled, but waste yeah. products, like waste management, it's, it's, a, it's just everything's going there. So if there's a way <laughs> of recycling their waste possibly just eating it yeah exactly just then... do like what rabbits do <laughs> why don't we just send human rabbits like somehow spice their modify. dna yeah genetically modify them to need to eat everything twice exactly and then that would save so much on waste when going to exactly. mars so um so oxygen is derived from the water on the ISS. So that'll be the water here. So that's H2O. So um, two hydrogens, one oxygen. So you can kind of split that mm. and then create sort of your oxygen, um, which then goes into the cabin. And then you use those hydrogens. You can actually combine those with... Um, the carbon so you have a carbon dioxide right mm. that's breathed out so that's one carbon and two oxygens 
So what you can do is you can bring that hydrogen up and use that to create... Um, I forgot what the... You can use that to create methane, which is CH4. So you take the car and then you can... Re you can return that O2 back into the atmosphere. Ah, uh, okay. So it's kind of like a way of... Yeah, and then that methane can just get vented overboard. Mm. Um, although actually methane's also useful as rocket fuel, so logically you could also keep it um, as you wanted to. So, yeah, there's a lot of... Um, urine is kind of recovered. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> One thing I was just thinking, with the urine, is that going into the oxygen? Or am I reading this wrong? It could do, yeah. Because it has... I, I might be wrong, but yeah, the arrows a, seem to be pointing that way. <laughs> it's a bear girl situation, <laughs> but it's not only drink your own piss, it's, it's breathe, breathe your own piss. <laughs> um, Which is but, very interesting. I don't know if I... I mean, I, I'm really... Yeah. There's a bit of me that's really impressed by all this, like how they've been able to do it. But at the same time, it seems really... I don't know grim. what the word... Yeah, grim. <laughs> I mean, I guess, like, the Earth is one giant recycling plant for That pigs. is true, yeah. Yeah, so, actually, yeah, we're always doing that anyway on Earth. We, we just, just kind of have more steps. Yeah. I guess. Um, but but yeah, so I remember... Oh, what was it? I, when I was young, there was a place that was like, oh, in Egypt, you, you're drinking the same water that, like, the Egyptians drank or something. That would also mean... Oh, yeah, people upstream on the Nile, yeah. Hmm. Oh, you know, I don't know, like the water cycle and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, some burp then. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, urine, urine also contains... Um, not only does it contain water, but it also contains nitrates. Um ah. Because I think urea is actually contains a lot of nitrogen. It might be entirely I don't know exactly the chemical composition of urea, but um, obviously nitrogen is the biggest, like the most common gas in our atmosphere. So to create an Earth-like atmosphere, you can then take that hydrogen out and then put it back into the atmosphere. So uh. not only can you split the oxygen from the water that you recover, you can also get nitrates back. So, yeah, actually, there's a lot of a lot of things are actually recycled and reused in the ISS, um, which saves obviously a lot of mass. You don't mm. need to constantly launch up air and oxygen, and also with CO two. If you didn't scrub the CO two, people would probably die very quickly. Even <laughs> if you did have, keep introducing new oxygen. Um, it's not a perfect process. I mm. think from urine, they recover about 70% of the water. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I read the the higher levels of calcium in people's bloodstream, in people's urine, um, because they lose bone mass, actually reduces the efficiency of the process. Uh. So, yeah, as you can see, there's a lot. But this kind of leads into... Oh, wait, no, this isn't a PowerPoint. Wait yeah. one second. You have to go back to Wikipedia. Yeah, back to Wikipedia. <laughs> the very reliable source that we're using. 
for this, I'm guessing. Well, I'm, oh, I'm guessing you looked at other sources as well, but... Uh, I listened uh, to some podcasts. Ah, uh, okay. And probably read a bit on NASA's website, mm. but mostly Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think any of this... I mean, who's going to put, like... There's, I guess there's no point in making up random stuff about space. Yeah, that's true. Unless, Unless someone... Someone saw the first episode of podcast and you were like, hey... We're gonna screw over these two, <laughs> these two boys who are trying to do a podcast about things. Let's let's put out there loads of random false space facts onto Wikipedia to really yeah. mess these guys up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want us to do a slide on challenges of long duration human space flight. Ah. Um, so these are the two people to spend the longest amount of time in space. Um, that was astronaut Scott Kelly and cosmonaut Mikhail Koryanenko. I probably cocked that up, but hey. Um, they spent oh, almost 12 months in space, but it was technically 11 months. Oh, uh, Okay. And, yeah, they were subjected to quite significant punishment, like mentally, physically. Um, you know, I think they're still recovering some from of the effects now. Really? Oh. Even a couple of years after their mission. Um, yeah, some of the most immediate effects of being exposed to zero G is motion sickness. Oh. Um Hence, zero-g flights used to train astronauts of being dubbed the vomit comet. <laughs> um, yeah, zero gravity can impact your taste, ability to go to sleep. Going to the toilet is difficult. Um, requires the use of a vacuum bog. So, think like the toilets on aircraft, except they're always sucking. Mm. Um, which is fun. And showers are... Yeah, a bit of a no-go. I mean, yeah, how do they shower? They don't. Wait, so... But do they try and wash their hair at all? Or is it, like, nothing at all? Apparently they can use, like, wet wipes and stuff. Maybe uh, try and wash their hair. Maybe... I don't exactly know about hair washing, but, yeah, it's not a particularly dignified mm. experience up there. It's, uh... It's no five-star hotel, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, with some of the worst side effects come as you spend like weeks and months in space um, you begin to lose bone and muscle mass because there's no gravity um, kind of requiring it to be there hmm. um, your skeleton actually starts to expand that's um, interesting you grow by about an inch every uh, an inch on your first month into the flight I don't know whether you grow much more from there on but yeah you grow by about an inch so if you wanted to grow then just become an astronaut yeah you lose it when you come back down to earth yeah but, but for that you'll probably give yourself time. back problems yeah um and there's impacts on cardiovascular and immune systems uh, which is especially as bad because bacteria actually love zero g they absolutely love growing in zero G. So without careful food preparation, you're more likely to get food poisoning and to also get more sick from it. Oh. 
Um, yeah. On the ISS, is there much bacteria? Because I always felt like they sanitized quite a bit everything. Yeah, I think they do. I think inevitably there will end up being bacteria because humans yeah. are just walking um, bacteria farms. Mm. Um, but yeah, a lot of the food is just prepared on Earth and bagged up, like freeze dried or vacuum sealed. You know, it's designed to last for you know months or years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all the foods designed to yeah last as long as possible, stuff full of preservatives, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's still. Yeah, it's still obviously trying to keep the space clean <laughs> when you have no gravity is a bit of a challenge. Um, but, you know, I'm sure they have, like, wet wipes and stuff. Yeah. I just I just realised, you know, all these things that make it really hard for people to be in space, it's almost as if we're not meant to go to space. As if, like, humans were built for being on Earth or something. Yeah, yeah, strange that. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it is interesting because a lot of our systems, how our body functions mm. is down to, you know, relies on gravity yeah. to do a lot of things. I think we're lucky in some respects that actually there isn't any kind of major thing that just makes rules out any extended period of time in zero G. Mm. Um, you know, it's very feasible, but there are also a lot of challenges and if you don't mitigate those then you could find yourself in a lot of trouble yeah definitely um yeah if you have a medical emergency on the way to mars um you probably won't be able to receive proper treatment for the remainder of the mission which could be almost two years oh, i didn't even think about that um even on the ISS, astronauts probably wouldn't have to spend more than a few hours getting back to Earth in a medical emergency, but even that's a really punishing trip. Like, you're exposed to 5G when mm. you're coming back through the atmosphere and re-entering. So it's n not something that's to be taken lightly. Mm. Um, with less of Earth's magnetic field and atmosphere... Um, to deflect and absorb high energy particles from the sun you're exposed to much higher levels of radiation and once you travel significantly beyond the moon like beyond yeah earth past sort of the moon um yeah there's basically no extra protection that you get you're just exposed to everything blasting out the sun <laughs> um and once you arrive at Mars, the situation isn't much better. Um, there's not really any atmosphere, and there's no magnetosphere to sort of protect the surface from radiation either. Uh, wait, what is magneto? Is that the um, like magnetic field? Or... Yeah, the magnetic field. So that would be... It kind of deflects some of the higher energy particles that you might have heard of like solar wind or coronal mass ejection mm. um that kind of stuff um and actually with the so the northern lights happens when some of that radiation gets closer to the atmosphere and starts to interact with the atmosphere oh okay 
Um, so that can happen during a particularly strong solar sea. I think there's various atmospheric, magnetic, solar so do, effects. Does that mean that even though the Northern Lights are like really beautiful, they're kind of not a good sign? Or... I don't know. I don't think they're that harmful. Yeah, I guess so. Because I, I just thought that would be funny if it's like, <laughs> yeah, it oh, actually, whoa, look how beautiful it is. It's so pretty. <laughs> and then it's You're like... getting irradiated. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's uh, any worse than what you'd get on, say, the ISS. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this slide's supposed to be overcoming problems. Ah. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of research being done primarily on the ISS, looking at the effects of space on the human body. Um, the first one, this astronaut, Scott Kelly, um, had a twin who's also an astronaut and they did a uh, twin study to monitor them over the period of the year and see what the differences were between them yeah um, so yeah that was one of the studies well, that's um, quite an interesting idea for a study yeah they were both identical twins yeah I just thought with that it must have been hard finding identical twins that would be able to do it because to be an yeah. astronaut is really hard to begin with, so to find having two astronauts, yeah, that have identical twins is pretty lucky. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think that's why the experiment was so unique. Mm. Um, yeah, I think pretty early on in spaceflight, it was established that astronauts should exercise daily to maintain bone and muscle mass. So you can see this guy on a treadmill. Yeah. Um, they have various like weightlifting machines, although obviously weights don't weigh <laughs> very much in zero gravity, so it needs some like straps to simulate weight. Um, and shielding from ionizing radiation, that tends to rely on having just a lot of mass between you and the radiation. Mm. Um so when you're on Mars, you could probably move some of like the soil and the regolith on top of your habitat. Oh, okay. And use that as mass to shield you. Could you like um, dig underground, like make like cave city bases or something? Yeah, That'd use like caves, cool. use lava tubes, stuff yeah. like that. That's one. Of, that's actually a major part of sort of proposals of living on Mars would involve oh. probably building underground bases on it i don't know why but i just love the idea of like a cave city so that would be so cool that would be sick i'd yeah. have to say that would be really cool i mean you can see this very uh up-to-date laptop oh yeah no i was just thinking that like you imagine <laughs> nasa would have the best equipment but then again i guess once they've got one laptop up there they don't want to keep changing every few years yeah, I think they will bring up newer laptops, but the space station's been around for 20 years. So, yeah, yeah it's like if you've already got it, there's no point just throwing it in the trash. Mm. So, yeah, it's very much full of clutter. So I can feel the International Space Station in terms of clutter kind of sings to me. You know, yeah, I'm like, this is this is my clutter dream. If they can have clutter, I can have clutter. <laughs> if um, it's organized clutter, I think that's the main thing. Like... I, my room yeah. is very cluttered but I know where everything <laughs> is so it's organised in my mind even if other organized people might chaos. disagree with that exactly it's the best kind of organisation 
I kind of love the space station because in sci-fi you see all of these like really sleek, um, empty spacecraft, mm. and the ISS is just so opposite to that. There's just like this wall covered in Velcro, like yeah, something you see in a school. There's all just this tape down here, which I love. Um, there's just this random pair of scissors just on the oh, treadmill. Right. <laughs> like, there's this old video camera. It's just yeah. like all of this random, this map. It feels lived in, that makes sense. Definitely. It it's definitely quite, feels feel, lived in. It feels homely. Yeah, as much as a space station can feel homely. Yeah. I, re- oh, I don't know when exactly, but I remember watching a video where it was like someone giving a tour of the ISS. Oh, that stuff's uh, cool. Yeah. Oh, those videos. And it was like they had all this um, storage stuff. And I just thought it was just like white bags or something for like comfort or whatever. But it was like all storage and it just looked really cool. Yeah, if I if I went up to the ISS, I'd bring some beanbags up there and <laughs> some like obvious fairy lights. Come on, where are the oh, fairy lights? That's true. They didn't have Wouldn't fairy that lights. be sick in zero G? You could have like a that tube of fairy lights. You could like float through. Yeah, and also I feel like they wouldn't take up that much power as well. Yeah, the fairy lights are pretty yeah. efficient. Maybe yeah. add some mood lighting to the ISS. Kind of. <laughs> add some like smart lights, Wi-Fi connected lights. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Get, the ISS gets an Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> you send up some Alexas. Yeah, Alexa, yeah. The shit out of it. And then you ask Alexa what the weather is like outside. <laughs> <in the space. laughs> Depending on which side of the Earth you're on, it's just yeah. like. Minus a hundred or mine <laughs> plus a hundred. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that idea. Yeah. Send us the ISS. Exactly. We'll, we'll decorate it to the max, I feel. Yeah. And some fairy lights. I, I just need to go to Ikea beforehand. <laughs> just like load all this stuff into the trunk of the uh, dragon capsule and then just fly up there with it all. Mm. Some flat pack furniture. <laughs> Some like fake plants, or if someone made like a satellite which was just flat pack. Yeah, <laughs> well, like was it kind of like that? I guess in a way with the IS because they would have had to build the pieces and everything and have them easily slot together. So, I don't know how they made the ISS. Actually, I'm thinking about it. Ooh, I could have an interesting. So they um, they sent up all the modules as like separate modules, mm. and then attached them all together. So as you can see here, this kind of docking port. Yeah. They attached the yeah, just all of the different modules were just attached together, and there's it can kind of grow over time, and they can change modules in and out. As they oh. require. So, a lot of them were brought up by the space shuttle and also brought up by the Russians. So, there's like a Russian side and there's the international side. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's a few modules the Russians have created. Um, there's a few that NASA have created. I think the ESA has one or two, maybe. I think uh. Japan might have one. Um, so yeah, there's a few different. There's a number of different modules. I'll actually, see if I can find. Um, do a bit of googling. Yeah. Assembly of the International Space Station. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. 
I guess. Oh, wow. So they slotted it all together. That's so cool. I'm trying to think what that's like. Like, I feel like that's like something, but I don't know what. Like so I was gonna, Legos. I was gonna say Lego, but that doesn't sound right. Like um, something that kind of sticks together and it gets. <gasps> That's it. Um, did you ever have Cube World? Hell yeah, I had Cube World. It's like Cube World. It's like it? Cube World. <laughs> <laughs> Cube World was amazing. I want my Cube Worlds back. Exactly. It's just a battery, so like those tiny batteries that always run yeah. out. Yeah. But it's like that, but in space and better. It's like it's like space cube world. <laughs> yeah, it's sick. Exactly, that's it. Ah, oh. yeah. Um. So on to radiation. Okay. Oh, um, that's from cube world to radiation. <laughs> cube world to radiation. Irradiated cube worlds. Um, yeah, most of the time, radiation levels hover around. So to go into Mars, it would be about 50% more than what astronauts on the ISS are exposed to. Okay, so that's a lot more, I guess. Yeah, I think astronauts are exposed to twice the limit for nuclear workers on the ground. Mm. Um, However, that limit is set quite low. Yeah. So it's not to the point where it causes probably any statistically significant increase in health issues um obviously that 50% gets you closer to that mark however in the event of a solar flare um when the sun begins to emit gamma rays the level of radiation increases very much into radiation sickness levels oh okay that's not good that's why a lot of the proposals involve a kind of solar storm shelter. Mm. But the problem is with that is that the only way to stop gamma rays is just a ton of mass in between you and the gamma ray. Yeah. So in space, that's not very practical. Um, but on the flight, the spacecraft might be able to orbit itself. So it's facing away from the sun with the sort of engines, fuel and cargo acting as a shield and then the crew being right at the front facing uh, away from it and that could be enough mass to sort of shield them mm. um, oh wait are you talking about getting to the Mars or on Mars getting to Mars oh because yeah. I didn't even so think about that yeah, yeah. Um, once you're on Mars you might be able to shield yourself um, if you're on a station orbiting Mars that could be a problem which mm. you might need to constantly reorient yourself away from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, this is onto the slide, which is called Flying to Mars. Ooh. Um, this is an image, I think. No, it's not of the Perseverance launch, but this is the rocket that launched the Perseverance rover. Okay. Um, which is the heaviest payload landed on Mars at just over a ton, which is half the weight of your average car. <laughs> and I don't know about you, I was going on a two mission, uh, two-year mission to Mars. I probably want more than a car's worth of area and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, landing objects on Mars is definitely not an unknown thing. 
We've done it a load of times. Um, NASA definitely has the most experience in the area. Um, however, flying humans to Mars is going to require significantly more mass than for rovers, at least if you want them to arrive alive. Mm. Which, um, uh, as we said, we don't need to have them alive, but it is a bonus. It's definitely a bonus. It's definitely more practical to have them arrive yeah. alive. Otherwise, it's kind of just throwing a dead person. At, yeah, you might as well Mars. just throw marks at Mars at that point. <laughs> Um, this is NASA's big new toy, the Space Launch System. Oh, wow. Um, this is designed to get people back to the moon. Um, so this will sort of be used for Artemis. It's supposed to launch in 2024, launch people to the moon. Um, we'll see if that happens. Uh, schedules of these things tend to fall <laughs> quite back. Quite oh, NASA well. planning on going back to the moon then? Because I didn't know about this personally. Yeah, they're planning on going back to the moon, baby. Oh, that's so good. Uh, hopefully this decade. Um, and that's the <laughs> rocket they just launched. Uh, well, just tested. I think they're uh, launching it this year. Um, that's cool. A, f- a few different variants. These engines are derived from the shuttle. Hmm. Um, and save money on developing new engines which is sensible um, and the, I think these are the same solid rocket boosters they use for the shuttle as well um, so yeah there's a few different variants of this um, it kind of seems to be an add more booster situation <laughs> like I think these block ones just have four boosters so two on each side uh, okay <laughs> um, and I think this um, SLS Block 2 is intended to launch the Deep Space Transport. Ooh, what is that? Um, It looks interesting. So it's kind of NASA's initial concept for a Mars vehicle. Um, So this would dock to the Lunar Gateway. So this is actually a station that they're going to put in the orbit of the moon. Oh, and then are they going to send stuff off from it? Yeah, so for the moon missions, they're planning on sending this, which is the um, Orion capsule on SLS, and that will arrive at Lunar Gateway. And then, so for the Apollo missions, they sent up the lander and the Apollo capsule, and then um, the capsule would stay in orbit, the lander would go down and land, and then the lander would come up, dock with it, and then the orbit would go, the capsule would then fly back to Earth. Um, for this for Artemis they're planning on using on docking with a lunar station then having a capsule that's kind of attached to the station that then goes off and lands back so I guess the idea is you might not have to bring a new um, lunar landing module with you every time yeah Um, I don't know whether that will actually happen but that might be sort of one of the ideas and then it's sort of a small station so they can do sort of um, crew can stay up there they'll have a bit more room so with the Apollo missions there was always someone in the um, Apollo capsule whilst the other two were on the moon so obviously if you're going to have a longer mission where people are spending months on the moon you may want a bit more space whilst you're chilling there waiting for them to come back um, and obviously, if you want multiple crews on the moon, 
then you know you could sort of swap into their capsules go back on their capsules and then you know that crew could yeah so you've got more options um so yeah but deep space transport is basically would dock to the lunar gateway um and it would shuttle astronauts between lunar orbit and martian orbit ah um and I think an early mission suggests doing a flyby of mean Venus and Mars in one mission using like fancy orbital maneuvers. Oh, that'd be um, interesting. But yeah, they they want to use a mixture of. Well, first, before we go on to the actual thing, it's also better because out in the moon, you're further out of the Earth's gravity well, so this might not have to be quite as powerful. Um. So yeah, it's really quite a sensible proposal. Um, I think they want to use a mixture of chemical and electrical propulsion. Ah. So electrical propulsion is like um, ion thrusters. So they kind of they use um, electricity to accelerate small particles. And with rockets, basically, the faster you can expel whatever the mass that you're pushing out the back, the more energy you'll get out of it. So if you can push something really light out, but push it really quickly by using um, electrical power to sort of accelerate it, you can use a very small amount of fuel to do a lot of acceleration, but it isn't very powerful. So it tends to take a very long time. Mm. Um, So this is kind of proposing using chemical rockets and electrical rockets and using kind of the best of both worlds in a way. Well, that sounds um, very interesting. But yeah, if you've got electrical portion, you have a high specific impulse, which is how you measure the mass of a rocket. And rockets are kind of a logarithmic thing. Um, like, the more fuel you add to it, the more fuel you need to carry that fuel, and the more fuel you need to carry that fuel. So... If you can make it just the tiniest bit more efficient, you can launch a hell of a lot more mass or make your rocket smaller. Hmm. So, well, I just thought, and I I might be completely wrong here, and if it's a stupid question or not, I don't know. But with electrical stuff, a lot of the stuff has like solar panels. So, yeah, does that mean you wouldn't need to? I don't know. I mean, you'd have to get the battery up and everything to charge, but, like, is yeah, that, so like, a has, limited uh, source of power in a way? Yeah, this has huge solar panels on the side, so they sort of capture and generate the electricity to then yeah. move the thrusters. So it's kind of, yeah, that's why I think these solar panels are proposed to be so large, mm. is to enable to do that at a decent scale. Um, whilst also powering all the other systems on the ship. Next. Next one is the flying grain silo. Wait, is this this the one that blew up? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing, like, landing tests at the moment in Texas, Hmm. and they've done a few ones now, and the idea is to sort of perfect this belly flop manoeuvre. Okay, they that doesn't do. sound good. It's 
I don't know if it's going to work. I think the idea is is that they sort of fly horizontally. Okay. And then just before they land, they kind of flip the craft and then land it vertically. Okay. So wait, is it is that it, is that it going down? Yeah, I guess. So is it it's just like, falling horizontally, basically? Or it's it... on its side. So this would. I think this is it when it was taking off. Mm. Um, but it kind of it flies horizontally, and then kind of transitions into a vertical just before landing. Oh, uh, okay. But that um, sounds interesting. Yeah, Starship's the private sector solution for getting to Mars. Um, the intention is to launch this on a super heavy Falcon booster, and then the Starship kind of integrates the crew capsule, which would be about here, with the second stage, which is, yeah, the second rocket stage carrying it. Um, let me undo that. That was a terrible drawing. There we go. Yeah, that's the crew capsule up there. And then that's the second stage below it. Um, yeah, the reason they've been flying it is test their landing system with uh, best mixed success. Um, the craft has these, which are the Raptor engines, which are some of the most complicated rocket engines ever built. Oh, okay. <laughs> but also some of the most efficient. Uh. Um because I think they're like a full flow stage combustion. So um, with rockets, you know, everyone thinks of the nozzle, but you've actually got to accelerate the fuel mm. into the nozzle at a specific pressure. Um, and you need turbo pumps to do that. Um, some turbo pumps run on electric power. Some turbo pumps um, run by sort of pre-burning the fuel. Um, and they'll, and then to avoid melting the turbo pumps, sometimes they use a fuel-rich mixture, which is obviously less efficient. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a. But this is a full-flow stage combustion, so all of the fuel kind of turns into thrust at some point instead of being wasted. Ah. Uh. Um. So yeah, it's really efficient. It's a really good engine. Is it possible for NASA to use the same engines or is it like um, SpaceX have kind of, I don't know, were like patented it or something so no one else can use it now? I'm sure they'd sell them. I think they're kind of banking on uh, the SpaceX ones, ones run on methane. Uh, okay. And the NASA ones run on hydrogen. So um, NASA's kind of using their old shuttle design engines which are quite good engines um spacex is using their methane powered ones because i think they want to harvest methane on mars uh, to power the trip home um that kind of makes sense yeah whereas i don't think nasa's quite as much banking on that mm. um yet yeah, the powered landing procedure is awfully complicated and relies on at least one of the three engines functioning after six months in space. Oh, which, right. 
it's kind of a lot to ask of an engine this sophisticated. Mm. And I think that's kind of been proven in the landings that even, you know, a couple of minutes after their first ignition, actually restarting these things and getting them to power up quickly enough to sort of land it is not an easy task and maybe one that might be questionably safe. Yeah. Um, I also have a questionable one about integrating the crew capsule. So this bit at the top with the second stage. Um, so I want to talk about launch abort systems. Ooh. Um, yeah, the current human-rated Falcon 9 and Dragon set up by SpaceX um, has a launch abort system. So these rockets integrated in the side of the capsule, they're really basic rockets, these hypergolic propellants. So these are propellants that pretty much ignite on contact with each other. So they're really, really simple, um, really reliable. Um, the fuel is not so great for you if you come into contact with it, but it's, yeah, just a very reliable, safe rocket engine. Mm. Um yeah, so basically the idea with a launch abort system is that if something happens to your rocket, the capsule can kind of jetten itself away from the rocket um, and then it will just land under parachutes or whatever afterwards. Um, so yeah, integrating the second stage, I feel like this could very much... I don't know whether they do plan on having this capability, but from the moment, from what I can see, they won't. Um... And considering the amount of fuel that's going to be in a fully stacked super heavy um, and Starship rocket, it'll be the largest like rocket ever built. Mm. That's not something I'd feel comfortable flying on. <laughs> um, yeah, this image is like a Soyuz jettisoning away from a rocket when it failed uh. when it failed to launch, um, and the crew landed safely uninjured and yeah i think the launch escaped escape enabled capsule is probably the best formula for getting to space because rockets are complicated they can often go wrong it's a high risk procedure having the ability to just kind of go see ya and fly off i think is quite valuable yeah um yeah the only human rated spacecraft to fly without this has been the space shuttle and um yeah soyuz has had 141 human launches and there haven't been any losses of life on a launch oh that's really good it's nice um, to hear the space shuttle had 135 human launches and obviously discovery broke up on re-entry um mm. but we'll just count ones that failed on launch and that was challenger um where the solid rocket boosters failed and then kind of just it was a chain reaction that just took out the whole craft and the explosion was pretty violent so i don't know if the crews would have survived if there'd been a launch escape system but there's probably a chance they could have and there's also a lot of other failure modes where a launch escape system very much does save the crew for example yeah. if you have a pad fire um 
you know, because you basically sat on the pad for like an hour on top of a giant bomb. <laughs> um, actually, the launch escape systems can be useful for that. Um, but yeah, I also want to ask. Why is it's a blank my slides screen. are disappearing? Ah, uh, why? Why? <laughs> why are they disappearing, or just why in general? Why send humans to Mars? Oh, yeah, that is a good question. And I have a few reasons why not to. Oh. First is obviously the cost. It would but, be a lot, know, I'm guessing. Space is expensive. The risk, people will just say space. I'm sure that people are willing to do it. But I think some of the more compelling ones is that we're already really good at doing stuff with robots and you know robots live forever humans are weak and die yeah uh, so, are you gonna support the robot overlords when they take over because that's kind of what it sounded like just then josh i have to say possibly <laughs> are um, you a robot yourself infiltrating um my lawyers have advised me not to comment <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's like we're good at doing stuff with robots. Like, if we use those resources, we could probably do more robotic missions to not just Mars, but to other planets in the solar system and possibly even beyond the solar system. Um, with that scheme we touched on in the first episode, so there's also an argument to be said there's no reason we can't do both. Mm. And, um, but unfortunately with the military industrial complex as it is in America and I won't throw too much shade on America because frankly they're the only ones who seem to care that much about doing it <laughs> so you know um, I'll give them that but mm. you know at the end of the day I don't think politicians see space as enough of a priority to probably dedicate funding to doing both a ton of robotic missions and to human missions to some of the inner planets yeah um isn't the main hope people seem to have to like build a colony or something up in mars well, yeah i wrote about this but i feel like i mean i think it's, it's a really cool idea and it, but it's also like really difficult to do from the sounds of things yeah so i said a martian colony would probably be unlikely to be successful and that it would be probably reliant on the supplies from Earth um, for pretty much probably its entire existence or a very long time at least mm. um, so if an issue occurred on Earth it would probably be unlikely a Martian colony would be able to support themselves anyway so the whole two planet thing might not be as great of an argument yeah it's also like obviously we've had people spend a, a year in zero gravity um, now possibly an entire lifetime on one third gravity mm. um, we have no idea what would happen to um, development of like children have you wait I haven't seen this film myself but um, I watched the trailer. Have you seen? I think it's the space between us. I've seen the trailers for it. Yeah, yeah where well, it's about a kid who grows up on Mars and then goes to Earth. Because maybe yeah. that that was a prophecy of what will happen. 
a lot of sci-fi films have kind of talked about this subject in that actually you know if a kid develops on mars they may never be able to come to earth because they won't have the bone structure the cardiovascular system to actually be able to cope with it Mm. um you know it could be that they actually need a hell of a lot of you know at minimum they'd need possibly a lot of therapy a lot of interventions they probably spend years chair bound at the very least before they could walk properly um and i think um yeah so there's a lot of potential unknowns with a martian colony um you know being able to grow food um being able to source water i think there may there is water on the surface of mars possibly not liquid water but ice Mm. So that might be less of an issue, but there's a lot of unknowns about a colony at the moment. Yeah. And obviously you'd need a ton of supplies to be able to do it in the first place. So it'd be incredibly expensive. Um, But also I think this is probably the most compelling one to not do it. And that would be basically that we contaminate the Martian surface um and yeah which would really hinder our ability to search for life so i'm not talking about like contamination as in leaving crisp packets or anything like contamination as in biological contamination so bacteria about that like i'm guessing if we then found bacteria on mars we'd be like we don't know if we brought it here yeah exactly yeah or whether it existed here and i think that um, perseverance I think they had a limit so you can never sort of eliminate bacteria but they built it in a clean room they baked it at really high temperatures they did all this stuff and I think the limit was for the whole rover to have something like 40,000 bacteria on it okay. which sounds like a lot until you realise that humans have approximately 32 trillion cells. Oh, okay, yeah, that is not much in comparison. And then I think possibly a similar amount in bacteria in our gut, and then... Hmm. So, you know, about 50% of your cells are bacteria or something, so we're just absolute walking Petri dishes. (laughs) And, you know, that's not a bad thing. Like the human, you know, we rely on them to help us digest our foods, to help us, you know, manage things, uh, manage certain processes. But if we had, if we landed humans on the surface, trying to keep out the contamination would just be incredibly difficult. Yeah. And I guess for lifeless rocks like the moon, it's less of a worry. But for somewhere like Mars, where there is even if it might be a small chance of finding life there's you know definitely a chance of finding life um the potential for just contamination and possibly doing unknown things to the ecosystem there is very real Hmm. um but i've got some y2 points cool let's hear them it would be cool that is true i think that's the biggest (laughs) point there is it's pretty cool yeah um we could have there's also another mission proposal um which i think what nasa's proposal is that you have humans in orbit on a station orbiting around mars and then you control robots with the smaller delay 
Mm. So oh. you can basically do like real time, like have people up in space doing like VR handling robots in real time, and you could do stuff a lot quicker that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense actually, because isn't it like an eight minute delay or something? I know that's what it was. Yeah, it varies depending yeah. on where the planets are in relation to each other, but it's a very. I think it's like minimum of eight minutes, and then you've got to go each way. Mm. So it can be something like 15 or something. So um, for rovers like Opportunity, they may only cover a few kilometers in their whole life. Um, Opportunity Perseverance, because the teams have to basically monitor and set out a path, and the rover just goes really slowly. Mm. Um, So you know having that delay does kind of impede what we're able to do with the robots yeah. um, i know that they're increasing sort of machine learning machine vision using sort of self-driving technology to help them avoid obstacles in lieu of a human being able to do it but yeah obviously having been able to do real-time robot control would be really useful i just thought Sorry, if they also had a satellite there, wouldn't that make things easier if they did then want to do a human mission to Mars, like having that as a point where people could stop off at? Yeah, having a Mars orbital station. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it would also be a really useful biomedical experiment if you did land on the surface. Um, we could learn more about not only how the body adapts to a you know zero gravity environment but mm. actually a low gravity environment what does yeah. a third gravity give you in relation to zero gravity or full gravity that's true even and, though i just thought would would you be able to do that with the moon as well I, it's not a third i'm guessing yeah i think i think the moon's about a tenth but actually this is kind of where artemis makes a lot of sense in that you know, saying that we're going to the moon to learn how to go to the Mars sounds a bit fuddy-duddy, but actually we could learn a lot by mm. doing it. And I think actually Artemis is exciting in the fact that they're planning on spending longer times on the moon. And, you know, I think we could do a lot of experiments like we brought up mice, see how they re- um, reproduce, uh, see how like small mammals and stuff or reptiles how they reproduce in low gravity environments um could be really interesting experiments to see how that might affect humans or other livestock that we might want to bring with us or pets uh, yeah. you know mm. if you want to bring your dog with you um yeah i think that would be interesting so Artemis could be really interesting for a lot of that and yeah i think artemis is actually in a way of good stepping stone yeah um so i've decided to cap the episode off with the oh with a black thing and then some stuff oh this i think this is the perfect ending to this one so i wanted i wanted to do the can we do it mars mission proposal Ooh. i made my own mars mission Ah. idea okay so to negate the potential risks to crew of the current starship proposal i'd probably create a similar system similar to the space station that's constructed in space out of multiple modules and then 
possibly actually constructs it by attaching it to the current space station okay. and using their big like arm and you know the people on board um you know the facilities they have to help dock everything together and prepare it for the martian crew um so actually i'd probably launch some of these bigger modules or possibly use some of the craft like starship um you know, it says supposedly they can launch 150 tons into low Earth orbit. So if you just need to move, like, large, bulky stuff, um, you know, even if the rocket isn't that reliable, even if they can't get it to be that reliable, actually, if you just want to put a load of fuel up there, it could be really useful. If you just want to have, you know, put a bunch of, like, bread and water in there mm. for the journey... Um, I can see a lot of use in that. Yeah. So, I'd probably, if Starship is ready at the time, um, actually use that to launch all of this stuff and then have the crew come up separately on, you know, Dragon, Soyuz, existing craft because they'd only have to get into low Earth orbit or if it was attached to the um, moon station, you know, they could use Orion, they could use... um, falcon heavy and other rockets which i think would be more like just get human ready um than starship is at least in a shorter time period um so my idea is this would probably act as more of a shuttle so most of this would never have to undergo atmospheric re-entry um and you'd have a separate lander system to actually get onto the surface Okay. Um, yeah, and sort of the, some of the crew might be able to go down and spend time on the Martian surface. You could rotate crews, have a few landers. You know, you could possibly have cargo modules that you could attach. And I said with the habitat, so there's this thing called the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module. Okay, what is that? To the international, it's like an inflatable module. Oh, that sounds so cool. So you can launch it as like a smaller thing and they've launched it up into the ISS and just had it there as like a storage room Mm. to test if it actually, um, you know, holds pressure, can withstand sort of micrometeorites, you know, small pieces of debris, dust. Oh, yeah, if things hit it because it's inflatable, wouldn't that just puncture it or...? I think it's designed to sort of be able to withstand some of that stuff, but they're testing that technology mm. up there. But because, if that works, that would be so good. Yeah, because then you can launch, you know, something that would expand out and give the crew a lot of space, mm. which on a long mission like this would be really useful. Um, because actually sometimes with launching rockets, your main... Um, your main issue isn't necessarily just weight, it's also bulk and size. Yeah. Um, so actually being able to have something that expands when it gets up into space would be really useful. Um, so yeah, that's why I think... Um, see, I want to go through like the modules. Um, I was thinking of like having replaceable tanks, so you can reuse most of this between missions and just replenish the fuel for possibly bring a new lander with you you know so bring you know fuel cargo um more food and water but you could probably keep the majority of the craft 
Mm. Um, I like how you've juice. like tried to think this all out instead of <laughs> I don't know. It's quite cool to see. Yeah. So I think that um, yeah, you sort of have like so propulsion. You could use chemical fuels, electric propulsion, or nuclear propulsion. Um, we use pretty much just nuclear fission to heat up your fuel and expand it and expel it out the back. Um, and I think there was some tests of nuclear rockets um, and they were in the atmosphere and they got pretty good results out of it. Yeah. So um, to do it in space, I think would actually possibly be a really um, good way of getting a higher specific impulse. Um and actually, if you can get your specific impulse high enough, you could possibly shorten the transit times between Mars and, Mars and Earth. And you might be less stuck with having to do the specific transfers. So you could possibly cut your mission down to like a year with two, three months transfers or something. Mm. Um, so yeah, you have your habit. Um, your food and water stores at the back. So I've been thinking, obviously, we talked about radiation earlier. Oh, if yeah. there's a solar storm, you might want to face away from the sun. So if you put your sort of cargo, food and water stores in between your habitat where the crew is, then you could use that as sort of radiation shielding. Yeah. Would that, I don't, this is probably a stupid question, would that radiate the food and water at all or not? I don't think so. I think they're mostly kind of... It could... It's definitely... I'd prefer to have radiated food than a radiated... Person. My person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think... I don't know necessarily whether all of the energy, radioactive energy imparted into sort of food. I mean, you could possibly move some of your cargo and stuff into mm. the way and as I, well. I just thought, when you like put food in a microwave... That's kind of... Is it, um, I'm at, um, that's radio waves. Oh, radio. So oh, okay. Non- I'm getting mixed up there. We'll talk about that in the 5G episode. Uh, oh, yeah. Your microwave won't kill you. That I, that's good it's to hear. It's not radioactive. Yeah, it's all right. Um, microwaves use the same frequency as a wireless router. Ah. So a Wi-Fi, in a way, is almost a beefed-up wireless router in terms of the sort of... Um, uh, electromagnetic radiation it releases oh that's quite interesting um which is also why sometimes your wi-fi goes dodgy if you've got a leaky microwave yeah i didn't know that yeah um but yeah you know you could have cargo modules you could bring robots habitats with mm. you um and yeah a separate lander for the surface probably using parachutes and hypergolic propellants super reliable you know very unlikely to go wrong um and then this could be discarded you know you could leave half on mars um you know or discard it when getting back to earth bring a new Mm. one you know you could do a lot of things but i think i wanted to create you know something that i see in ms paint as a flexible martian mission Exactly. That's what all the NASA scientists use to show what they're thinking, MS Paint. Yeah, and MS Paint is truly... <laughs> I, I think someone's going to copy this. Yeah. But I they'll, mean, they'll do generic. it. it's pretty generic. I kind of stole half their ideas, but... Uh, but still. 
But still, yeah. Um, so, your rating out of five for feasibility. Um, feasibility. I feel like because there's actual try like plans to do it, it's like it's really difficult. But I think it is feasible. So, I'll give it like a four. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I think four out of five. Because it's hard, but it is like it. It is possible, probably, to do it. It'd just be really hard and annoying, and it's whether we actually want to go for it all. But it is possible, yeah. I think. So what I would say we can do it. Practicality. Practicality is where I think it goes down a bit. Maybe like a two. I mean, there's definitely bonuses to being able to go to Mars. But so yeah. there's some practical ideas for why we'd want to go. But yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, I'd put it at like two, I think. If there so was, that, I just thought, if there was a rating for like coolness, it would be a five. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I'd say practicality wise, it's not that practical really going to Mars from what I can tell. So can we do it? Yes, oh, God, we can. Rating. Can we do doi? So the rating is <laughs> what plus. What written? <laughs> Sorry. It's the can we do it rating. But it says can we doi? <laughs> can we do it? Uh, okay. Oh yeah, it doesn't have a it the, it. There we go. And the... Oh, perfect. And the, yeah, there, fixed it. <laughs> I, so think I was wondering if we should keep it. Is kept, couldn't we, couldn't we do it? <laughs> <laughs> Can we do it? So is that like a six out of ten? Oh, wait, are we doing it out of ten? Yeah, because it I, Okay, yeah, I was doing it out of five. If it was out of ten... Oh, no, I mean, like, they're both out of five, but then we had them together. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, like a six out of ten. Six out of ten. Yes. And then we'll give it a plus how much for coolness? A, f- a full five for coolness, I would say. If it was, if there was a coolness rating, that's pretty cool going to Mars, I have to say. Going to a completely different planet is pretty cool, if you ask me. So it's it gets probably, I don't know, like a B plus? Yeah. Are we rate it a B plus? Sure. I think that's about right. Yeah. I feel this rating system is right. very interesting. It's, I mean, it probably we might makes need to work out to a bit more. GCSE system. Yeah. Because it's got <laughs> numbers and letters and everything. So what about that being a new GCSE? I don't What's know. I, I've not paid attention to all that kind of stuff. Let me find GCSE mark scheme. I'm going to guess like a 7, because a 7 just feels like a B to me. Like oh, the number 7. I, I really like the number 7, but... So a B, a, a B would be about a 6 out of 9. Oh, I was one of, Wait, but yeah, B then 6 out of 10. Yeah, the B I is right. If we were doing numbers and stuff. And then the yes, plus can be the uh, the coolness of it. Yeah. 
Are we are we going to rate all these based on the GCSE? <laughs> based on the new GCSE <laughs> marks. Oh, okay. We'll give you we'll give you an old GCSE mark, and we'll give you a new GCSE yeah. mark. Just for the people who don't understand the the letter system. Do you think there's going to be people like that in the future, like in a few years' time, when people say, "Oh, oh that's about them. a B plus," they'll be like, "What's a B plus?" I only know the six oh, no. and the seven but, and the eight. But everyone does A levels, and A levels is still on the same thing. Is Have it? They switched I, I think they've switched. I might be oh. wrong, but I'm pretty sure they've switched to uh, numbers as well. Are you looking it up? What is it? But A levels has it has a letter in the name, so it has to be. So do GCSEs. <laughs> yeah, but like they're called A levels. It's A in the name. You're supposed to get an A. <laughs> I don't think that's why they're called A levels. But actually, I might be wrong there because that does kind of make sense. <laughs> no, it says advanced level. Uh, is that what the A stands for, though? Advanced. Yeah, advanced. The general certificate of education, advanced level, GCE. Uh. Have you found out if it's letters or numbers or not? I, I'm sure people listening will be. Oh, no, I think it's I think it's letters still. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's getting A. And a scribble of purple by the looks of things. So it's getting a six out of ten. Okay. Which is a B plus. Which is a <laughs> six out of nine. New GCSE. Which is also a 2-1. Cool. So there we go. That is the rating system that we're going to go Plus with. Plus five... For coolness. Coolness merits. Coolness point. <laughs> what is the five coolness equivalent to, though? <laughs> Maybe we need to honors. write all those down as well. What's an honours? It got first in postgrad study. In cool. That would be so good if there was a degree you could get and it was just the cool degree. And you had to always say it like that. Every cool. time you go cool. I got a degree in cool. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway. Wait, yeah, shall we end the podcast? I think so. I think we've probably been recording for like over an hour. We have been. It's like almost, it's getting to an hour and a half, but we, I think that's cutting some stuff down as well, probably. So hopefully less than that. Yeah, it'll be less than that, hopefully. <laughs> um.